Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. I'm Brandon Hall. He's Matt Payne. And yes, we've been away for a little bit, but we're back. And we're back with a ton of information. Matt, feels like it's been just about forever since we've done this. But I know uh, I spent a week with Team USA and um, you know, you had a week where I think you were running around doing events like every every other day. Uh, you actually got away from the beach for a couple days, but I brought you back for an event during the middle of your vacation. Um, you know, the draft has happened. How you been doing, buddy? Good. Busy time of the year, and I uh, got a lot, lot to look forward to over the next couple weeks. No doubt. No doubt. As I'm getting my light fixed here. It's been a while since we podcasted, so apparently I've forgotten how to do this. Um, <clears throat> let, let's jump right in. Let's just start um, with what's happened this week and not go back too far. We'll kind of revisit some of the other things that we've missed since we've been gone. But the MLB draft, um, you know, big time of year, uh, thousands and thousands of kids waiting and hoping to hear their name. I think the final number is like 650 that actually hear their name called. Um, and it started out with a bang with North Carolina. We had a first rounder out of the high school ranks yet again. Um, and this one, a, a potential 1-1 and a, just a loaded top five of the draft class. But Walker Jenkins, um, you know, really regarded as one of the top prospects in, in the in the entire class for the last two to three years. Um, you know, he goes number five overall. No, yep. Number five overall to the Twins. Um, what do you think about that that pick with the Twins? Yeah, I think uh... – they, they may have been a little surprised he fell to number five. I think, you know, most people were kind of expecting three and four there. And I think the big thing was uh, everybody was waiting to see who Pittsburgh took at number one. If, yeah. you know, if they would go skeins or, or go with one of the outfielders or try to cut a deal there with the first pick. And uh, I thought they did the right thing taking skeins. And uh, the Twins got Walker at five. And that's basically like having a, a number one pick at number five. And he's been fun for us to watch the last few years and super talented. And uh, you know, even even better kid. I thought the the College World Series had an effect a little bit on on that top end of that draft on day one. Um, you know, you, you look and you had obviously Skeens, you had uh, Cruz, um, you had Wyatt Langford from Florida. You, you go down a little bit, Rhett Louder. I mean, these are guys that would you know Chase Dolander kind of jumped back back up in there. Um, you know, these are guys that were projected high picks anyway, but I think those guys performed so well on a big stage when all the scouting stuff was done except for the World Series, um, and, and everybody had a chance to put their eyes on them. They weren't traveling across the country and reading reports on guys. Every GM, every scouting director, every cross-checker is able to dial in on kind of what's happening in Omaha, and those guys played really well, and I thought that affected you know, some of where they went, you know, schemes jumped a lot on those, on those pre-draft. Um, I don't know, even know what they call them. Um, what, what is it called? They're, they're, they're kind of doing the draft and trying to f- predict where they're going to go. The, the mocks, the mock, yeah, drafts, the mock drafts. Yeah. Schemes. I mean, he was, you know, age and the number of innings and, you know, he's throwing 100, but, you know, every now and then there's some barrels and you're trying to nitpick him apart a little bit. Where does he really fit? And Dylan <clears throat> Cruz, obviously the best college player in terms of position players in the country. But, you know, you could really pick apart his Team USA summer last year. And I think some guys did that. But then all of a sudden you had just all eyes on them for two weeks in Omaha. You know, those two guys, I thought Rhett Louder increased his value. Um, Dolander, like I mentioned. Um, and I'm going down a little bit. 
you know, Kyle Teal, I think, kind of fell where he was supposed to. Um, you know, those guys, I, I thought Omaha had an effect on that. Yeah, I thought, you know, there was a, definitely a run of LSU guys there. And I think, you know, they kind of struggled some back half of the year and they go out there and play really well. And I, I think it definitely, definitely helped a lot of guys on their club. And then Wake Forest obviously had a lot of guys drafted too. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great World Series. This is one of the better ones I remember, you know, overall, really, until those last two games. And uh, guys were on the big stage, and I think they made themselves some extra money out there. Well, let, let's talk about some of the college guys from the area. And Rhett Louder, <clears throat> first round, seventh pick overall to the Reds. You know, Rhett's a guy um, from Iredell County, you know, pitching the South Charlotte Panthers organization. And I kept reading reports that, Man, you know, he, he made this huge jump at Wake, and Wake saw something in him. And, you know, when he was 78 to 80 when Wake committed, which, no, that's not what happened. We have notes. We've seen it. You know, he was not a guy that was, you know, highly ranked as a sophomore or junior. He was a, he was a d- definite D1 guy, you know, pretty fringy ACC, SEC type guy with where we had him in our ranks as a sophomore. As a junior, the velocity got to 85, 86, and it was so clean and so effortless. The ball's moving, and he could spin it. That's when we jumped him in our rankings to that kind of higher-profile power five type guy is the type grade we put on him, and then it continued to grow as a senior. Even, even as a junior in college, and guys are going, man, I love the stuff. I love the breaking ball. I think he compiled such a track record of getting outs and getting out to the high level and again, watching the LSU game and just carving up a team that eventually goes on to win the national title, Rhett, I think, got the benefit of just compiled numbers. Over time, his stuff really plays up, and you start to see that. Even though the analytics tell you that, even though what your eyes see, the numbers tell you that the fastball is 90 to 94 and he'll touch a six, but it really plays up. The slider really plays up. The changeup's a plus pitch. You know, so that guy is interested to see his growth from high school to college and, and now into the Reds organization. Yeah, two two things that really jumped for me with Red was obviously um, the big game in, in Omaha against LSU and, and, and matching Skeens pitch for pitch. And then the overall numbers he put up at, at the Wake Forest Park. You know, his, his home park's a hitter's park. Um, and to be able to do what he did in that park, I think uh, – should should give it you know gave those MLB guys plenty of comfort that uh, really doesn't matter you know where he's at or he can get outs and perform and we've both been there the ball flies there it's small <laughs> and you know he was one of the best pitchers in the country in in a very hitterish park. I had I had three staffs that finished in the top five in the country and and um, one of them at Wilmington. We played, and it was El Nino, that weather system had just gone through or was going through, and it seemed like every single day the wind was blowing in off the ocean, and at night we almost had that marine layer they talk about in California. And so we could just pump strikes. The ball wasn't going anywhere. Hit it as hard as you want to hit it. It's not going anywhere. And we had a bunch of sinker guys, and we just flooded the zone. You know, when I got to, to Charlotte in 2007, you know, we were aided by having a Conference USA roster in the Atlantic 10 because we had just transitioned. We were in year two of that transition. We had some more physical guys. We had guys that were really built to, to get out to the national level playing in a conference that just wasn't that. It was a kind of a developmental conference with a lot of good players, but they were younger. And 
you know, and then the other part was when we played at home, again, we, we saw a lot of days where the air played thicker. And so we could, again, just flood the zone with strikes. And, you know, we're getting out after out after out. Watching Wake Forest lead the, the country in pitching, playing at that band box. And I remember when Coach Walters got the job, they moved the fences in. Then he put cement behind the fence so that they don't go anywhere afterwards. You know, and, and I, you know, it's got that little ramp up to the fence. I'm telling you, I'm watching the Super Regional and guys, the, the left fielders playing in the warning track, not on it, <laughs> in it. And you're going, that's right. That's where he should be, you know, because that place does, I and mean, it just rewards bat speed day after day after day. But the other thing I think about, too, in terms of development, you you may have thoughts on this, too, because some of the programs you were with, every single day in the fall, that offense is facing that pitching staff. Somebody's winning and somebody's losing. You know, and typically with the background that I have, when our pitching staff was dominating our offense, we could beat our offense down, and we had to figure out ways to kind of get those guys some confidence going into the spring. It's really interesting to see – they had a great offense and a great pitching staff, and they didn't just beat each other down throughout the fall or the early spring getting ready for it. They, they went in knowing we can really hit, and they went in knowing we can really pitch. And I don't think you see that a lot in college baseball because we don't get to play outside competition before the bullets start to fly for real. Yeah, that's a great point right there. And I, I think, you know, facing those arms, obviously they were loaded with, with position player prospects at well. You know, Wilkin went there at, I think 18 to Milwaukee. Uh, but also I think you, you get confidence as a hitter and, you know, the smaller park, you, you miss hit a couple balls and still get rewarded at times. It keeps that confidence right. going throughout the year. And it also, you know, keeps the pitching staff confident too, because they know, Hey, it's, you know, this is when we're here, but when we go other places, you know, that, that, that might be an out or, you know, but it also forces them to, you know, make pitches and limit damage and, uh, I thought they were as confident as anybody in the country offensively and defensively. And, uh, you know, it, it showed out there in Omaha being being a win away from from playing for the title. Well, they had, um, I think, three arms. It may have been more. Let's see. We got one, two. Yeah, three arms taken in the top three rounds. Let's go to the third round, the 84th overall selection by the Chicago White Sox, Seth Keener. And obviously Seth is somebody that's, um, a fan favorite of ours because of his history and his story and um, how he got to Wake Forest and how we saw him and then also his development. Uh, you know, tell, talk to me a little bit. You were down there in the bullpen first time. Either of us saw him, either of us even heard his name, um, an East Surrey product. Um, what, what were your thoughts on Seth Keener the first time you saw him? I want to say it was 2019, 2018, maybe even, yeah, maybe even 17 when he was a sophomore. Yeah, it was uh, one of the first ones that really done, and we're at Myers Park, and uh, in both bullpens, it was before we had all the tech. It was a radar gun, and you know you're running guys through there. And I think there was maybe a committed guy that come through early that stood out, and then you get where a lot of those guys kind of look the same, and then there's this kid, and he throws one, and you're like, okay, is this this real? And he just keeps doing it, and the breaking ball, and it just stood out. You know, and we're immediately like, who's who's this kid? And uh, he kept getting better and has success at Wake Forest, and you know, he's a third rounder and, um, you know, got a chance to get to the big leagues. Yeah. So the, and one of the things that we can look at when we're, as we're going through these draft guys is, is development, <clears throat> where we had them, where we saw them in high school, where they ended up as, as they're getting to now. And now do they still have development left? Seth was a guy that before we'd seen him, he took, he took basically six or seven months off from baseball 
competitively. He had some arm soreness. Um, his nutrition wasn't where it needed to be. He was he was thin. Is is he felt like he was weak, and he got with a personal trainer. He got with a pitching coach, um, and basically took six to seven months to revamp everything he was doing as a sophomore going into his junior year. Maybe didn't play in the summer, didn't play in the fall, and then shows up at this fall event for us and different guy. I mean, they they I think he was even a little bit further ahead than what he had thought he was going to be at the event. And so you know, I can remember leaving that event. We had sent a tweet out, and your your phone and my phone are blowing up with Power 5 guys and, and mid-major guys calling. It's going, I need Seth's info. What, what's the deal? Can you have him call me tonight? And it just, and it, the family was just you know kind of a little bit overwhelmed with the, the amount of attention he got after that one bullpen. But for an athlete not to get consumed with, you know, the quote-unquote normal path of play high school, play summer, play fall, a little bit of a break, get ready for the workout, play high school, play summer, play fall. And because they saw there's a deficiency. He's got to get stronger. He's got to, he's got to change some of the things he's doing because he's not in good positions at times. And they take that risk and take that time off, you know, and then fast forward it to he ends up at Wake Forest where they have the lab. And, you know, I know there's a, a ton of uh, information coming out about the lab and as, as there should be, but those guys, they really, they really are only in the lab two, maybe three times a year. Um, you know, but they're doing other things. It's a very individualized plan. And Seth's the guy that was really good when he left to East Surrey and was pretty good as a high, uh, college freshman, but he wasn't a third rounder. He continued to get better over his four years at Wake and put himself where he was their opening day starter, you know, because they had Rhett throwing at somebody else. Um, you know, when they made a decision to move Sullivan to the bullpen at the end of the year to lengthen the bullpen, Keener comes in and he's their, he's their number three. Um, you know, in a, in a super, he's their number three in, in Omaha and, you know, really providing depth to that lineup because he was able to continue to develop as he got there. Yeah, he kept getting better. And uh, it's cool what we saw early, uh, like you said, coming off of injury. And then what we got to, got to see this year at, at Wake Forest. And another guy I'm interested in is Sean Sullivan from Wake Forest going to Colorado. Yep. And we know the, you know, the hitters park out there and, I think that was that was a great draft for them, and and see how his stuff plays plays when he gets out there. Yeah, so he's a lower slot guy. I know he's a little bit taller, but when you actually look at where his slot's coming out, he's a lower slot guy. Like you know, and he's he's bigger than than Kimbrel with the Phillies that closed out the All Star game last night. Uh, but Kimbrel's a lower slot guy with with really good ride on the fastball. Sullivan's the same way, and. You know, you're looking at it going, man, he's, he's 88 and 92, and he's just blowing people's doors off. Because from that slot, the ball is not supposed to do what his does. And, and Wake recognized that very early on and, and made an adjustment to get him to throw. And you, you go back and look at his his relief outings when the fastball was a little firmer than 90-94 at times, you know, versus what he was as a starter. But he's just out there throwing fastballs against Alabama. Here it is. Run into it if you can. Um, yeah, I think and, the and draft so that they gave profile – yeah, that profile projects. And, and the next name I want to talk about aligns with that. And, and it's a right-handed arm out of Wingate, Corey Avant. He's actually from Sun Valley, was a little bit more of a high school outfielder than he was a pitcher. Again, South Charlotte Panthers, dual guy. But, you know, you really – the arm you had to project a little bit. It was clean. It was 88. It wasn't really a breaking ball. You know, he gets with Dusty White, who just took the Campbell pitching job. And Dusty does a tremendous job and. 
you know, I'm talking to scouts going, okay, hey, who's out there? Who who should we kind of be watching? Just keep an eye on that I may not have heard about. And every time I asked, Corey's name came up. And, again, it was the disappearing fastball. You know, he went to our draft league, the PBR Major League Baseball draft league at the end of the year, and we had him up to 95, 96 there. Um, you know, and it, it played like that at Wingate, but it's not just the velocity. It's that he can throw the ball in the zone and get swing and miss. And, and, and you know, we, that disappearing fastball, it's doing something different than everybody else's does, regardless of what the velocity tells you. And then he's a competitor and he's a good athlete. But you're talking about a guy in high school that may have been an outfielder first. And, you know, now we go four years later and we're watching that progression. We're watching that development. So, you know, people get caught up on, on our rankings and where our guys rank. There's a ton of development that happens after they leave high school. A ton. And Walker Jenkins, as good as he is and going, you know, on the top five overall and really being a 1-1 candidate, he's not near the ceiling. That's the scary thing with a guy like that. And that, that development part, watching the draft picks and watching how these things unfolded was really interesting to see. Yeah, it's, you know, another another year where North Carolina is well represented across the college ranks. And even in a year where, you know, less colleges and super regionals and, and Omaha than usual from North Carolina, but uh, still a ton of guys drafted from, you know, State Carolina, East Carolina, Wilmington got some guys in there. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte with a couple high picks there, a couple hitters. Yep. I thought were good drafts. And, um, you know, North Carolina continues to produce at the high school and collegiate level. You know, one of those guys from Charlotte, Jake Cunningham, is a guy we were a little bit low on out of high school because he, he didn't stay healthy. Um, Audrey Kell, um, and I think a lot of his issues with health were probably due to him growing. And he was a big, physical, strong guy. And I can remember he committed a couple weeks, maybe a month after I'd left Charlotte, maybe a little bit further, but Bo Robinson – who was the recruiting coordinator at the Times, not NC State, um, was really high on him. And I'm like, Bo, I I haven't seen it. Now, I was watching him hurt. They had seen him healthy. You know, now you're projecting forward. He had some of the similar issues in, in college, just staying healthy. Um, you know, but they were never major issues. It was, it was some tissue stuff, soft tissue stuff, um, some rotational stuff, things they were able to fix. But he's just a big, physical, strong kid at 6'4", 205, and he can run. You know, and so you start putting those tools together. Then you go watch him play, and he has a good feel for the for the barrel. And I think, you know, the Orioles did a really good job because they take him in the fifth round. If that's a guy that had played 60 games this year, 60 games last year, we may be looking at the second rounder just based on the tools. Yeah, physical specimen, ton of power. And, um, you know, the left-handed hitter Cam Fisher, Houston got him. He had a, he had a big year at the plate. Uh, A&T, A&T had a guy in the – Meacham. Meacham, yep. Mark Marlins took him there in the tenth, and uh, really big arm, 5'11", 200, but the ball really zips out of his hand. So just overall, another another solid year for for our state. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, and we look forward to next year too. We're we're constantly looking because we're we're so heavily involved with the high school guys you know, what's going to happen. But the draft is turned into – it's a college draft. There's some high school guys sprinkled in, but it's heavy college. It's less risk. And so some high school guys that, honestly, we felt like had a chance to go off the board, you know, a Chance Mako, a Jackson Lucas, um, you know, guys like that. I, you know, my bet is they got calls. My bet is the number didn't make sense, and they're going to end up at school, and in three years the number is going to make more sense. 
Um, but we're, we're watching, you know, another name that Bristol Carter, you know, a, a really, really good athlete that's been a dual sport guy. How much better does he get in his next two years at East Carolina? Because we're watching these guys are going off the board in college and we're seeing their, their growth and their development and how good these schools in these areas are developing players. And, and what does that do for those guys in the upcoming year? We're going to continue to talk about the, the 24th or the – yeah, the wow, 24. That's unbelievable to think about. The, the 2024 class and where that draft is going to be. Um, but I think, again, it'll it's going to lean heavy to college. And you're going to have a lot of high school players that have this aspiration of, you know, if I, if I go in this round, I'll probably sign. But the reality is there's not a whole lot of high school guys across the country going in those rounds. No, another let, uh, Hayden LaFue, the lefty, going to Wake Forest. Yep, uh, it's a good kit for Wake. How, how much he develops there and – uh, you know, I'm sure he got some calls heading into the draft, and uh, a lot of guys we can we can follow over the next few years and uh, look at where we had them and and what happens uh, when they get closer to a finished product. Yeah, one of the one of the things I wanted to point out as I was taking notes on the draft and we're looking back to see where we had these guys ranked, what the notes were, what our grades were. You know, <clears throat> guys with ball to bat ability, guys that had feel for the barrel. Those guys continued to tend to kind of trick up. Uh, Carico, Carico, the catcher out of Davidson that was from Glenn, good ball to bat ability. Um, the outfielder, Ryan Wilson, again from Davidson, Durham Jordan product, really good ball to bat ability. Um, you know, and then the other part was guys that had elite secondary makings maybe the breaking ball wasn't there yet but you could see it coming the spin was there maybe they didn't land it but that secondary stuff with good arm speed so brett banks you know we saw he could really spin a breaking ball in high school didn't land it enough and probably still doesn't land it enough but in a relief role has a chance xander hamilton we loved his slider super 60 guy i think for us if i remember correctly um, you know, and then Xander, um, you know, dual guy, tried to be a dual guy for a while, drops the hitting, becomes a pitcher. And then I, I want to say was pitcher of the year in the Sun Belt if he wasn't. He was up there with App State. So that was one of the things I kind of took away from. Was there anything that you kind of saw in in guys' development and how they progressed and what we saw back in high school that kind of lends itself to, to possibly being a good draft pick? I think you can kind of see – where these who these kids go to, how it fits the mold of what those orgs are doing. Like yep. you look at uh, Cleveland taking Tommy Hawk, very similar to the draft. They took the kid in the you know top, I think it was the sixth or eighth last year out of Charlotte. Um, own base guy, um, you know, not a ton of power, but defense hit there, value the own base percentage. Um, and then you know like like Atlanta taking the the arm with the big stuff out of out of Campbell. Uh, Kuehler, Keeler, you know, how they, they prioritize developing pitching and, and going there. And I think uh, that's something we, you know, kind of – when we look at these guys, you can kind of see where where some of them fit. I think, you know, we talked about Mako and, and the teams that were in on him were, you know, teams that, that developed. You know, he's got a high yeah. ceiling. And uh, the teams that really liked him were the, the ones that believe in their developmental process and, and know they can, they can get him to a ceiling. So I think that's an interesting thing to follow. What was what was the and we're going to move on after this? But what was the overall feeling with Coach Hart, those guys at NC State? I know you're in touch with them, and 
you know, have an affinity in your heart with the jersey behind hanging on the wall behind you. Um, they're going to lose Morales, the kid out of Florida. Um, but it seemed like the guys they were scared about may have made it through. I know the two here in North Carolina with Mako and Lucas make it to them. What was the uh, overall thought there with getting through the draft? I know, you know, Lucas and Morales were both on campus for summer school. Yep. But, uh, you know, still sweating it out. And, um, it, you know, I think they feel good about Lucas. I think uh, with Mako, you always run the risk of, you know, somebody talking them into going to a junior college. But, you know, you know, getting getting three of those arms would have been a huge get for those guys. But I think if they get two, I think they come away, come away happy yeah. with that. Yeah, especially with some of the young guys they have returning because they, they, there's some talent there. And, you know, I think, you know, Clint's been there with the pitching staff long enough now to kind of really get his stuff sealed in. He does a really good job with the pitching and the pitchability stuff and then, you know, allowing their weight room to take over and kind of continue to build bodies. So um, that'll it'll, that's a big class for those guys, you know, and trying to turn some projectable top 10-round type arms into top three-round type arms in the next three years and kind of see how that progresses for them. So we're going to move on, Matt, with, with – um, and we're going to talk about – the border battle. We're going to talk about Team Carolina East, but as we're getting ready to kind of hit our stretch run, we're going to head down to Atlanta for the future games. I'm trying to, to be good. I'm trying to get in a better shape. I'm trying to drop a couple LBs here and there. And one of the things I've really noticed is with my workouts and my diet, when I'm hydrated, um, I have an easier time of going about that. And, you know, one of our sponsors, Liquid IV, has been really good. It's something I've gotten turned on to now. It's easy to use. You just zip the package open, dump it in your water, bing, bam, boom. Your, your hydration's going at a faster rate than if you were to just dump water into your body. So, yes, I'm drinking water, but, you know, that liquid IV has kind of continued to help me stay um, stay engaged, stay ready for the next day's workout. Um, you know, the strawberry, the strawberry lemonade, and the lemon lime are my three favorites. I've tried tropical punch and watermelon. Wouldn't pass those by either. They, they taste great. Go down easy, and you can you can tell a difference when you've been on it and stayed on it for a couple of weeks now. How my body's performing as I'm going through those workouts, getting ready because um, I can't just show up at, at Lake Point in 105 degree heat and hit those fungos for three hours like I could in Indianapolis. Um, you know, back in my younger days, Indianapolis was a lot cooler too. Um, you know, oh, one stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. 12 delicious flavors. Contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, and three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. We're going to, with what Liquid IV is doing with us, you get 20% off. You go to liquidiv.com right now and use the code PBR. NC23 at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop for better hydration today using the promo code PBRNC23 at liquidiv.com. So slow process for me at times trying to get back in and trying to get all the um, – I like to eat, man. You, you know, you've been around me. I, it's, 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 a, it's an event for me at times. So um, we're doing better around the house with the two kids. They're, they're doing great with their nutrition. I wish I could eat like them. Um, but I, I'm trying to get there and hopefully when we get down to, to Lake Point, I'm able to handle that fungo for a couple hours, hitting to those teams in front of all those college coaches. You need it down there throwing a couple lightning delays and, uh, 
<laughs> be some uh, some long days, some uh, couple hours of sleep, and and go back at it the next day. End of June, we had one of our big events, the border battle, North Carolina versus South Carolina. We had uh, a little over 110 players total from the two states. Um, we had over 30 college coaches and pro scouts in attendance. Was this the best event we've run? In terms of pure talent, we're going to look back and go, man, there were players all over the place. Uh, I think top to bottom, it was the the most depth, overall depth we've had at a border battle. Uh, you know, three games, no let up from game to game. Uh, talent just kept rolling through, and uh, it was there. There was a lot of guys there that that college coaches could look at and and say, I I I needed to see this guy. I'm glad I saw this guy, and either uh, move on him or or you know see him in the in the weeks after. Give me a couple of the position players that you felt like stood out during the event. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm pulling up some of the stats now and, and, and checking through exit velocities and checking through the swift running times. Um, you know, I, I know Jake Mathis and Amari Burris and Tommy Williams was intriguing throughout the day. Um, you know, but where, where did your eyes kind of land as you were going through the roster and really bearing down on these guys during not only just the workout but the gameplay? Hey, I thought it was, you know, we had a couple committed kids there, uh, and I seeing those committed guys and how relaxed they were going through it versus maybe some of the non-committed kids is interesting to see, you know, Levi Brown, their defensive stands out, uh, ran well, took he, a good he, BP. And that was the first time I've seen him since juniors because he's been hurt, right? Yeah. That was Battled impressive. Injuries. Yeah. That, that's, you know, you don't – I been hurt. I remember him at juniors. I liked him at juniors, NC State commit. But I walked away from the day going, man, NC State, they're, they're going to have to see if they can hold on to that one. That's That was – I mean, he was really impressive. Death, the bodies put on weight. Uh, Trey Spees, Western Carolina commit. Just – I think he, he barreled balls in every at-bat that day. Yeah. Uh, good showing for him. And then uh, get to, you know, Camden Ash, 2024 catcher. Got arm strength. He's physical, uh, durable body, uh, strong in the box. Guy that really jumped, Patrick Bolt from uh, South Brunswick, yep. 2024 catcher. Just uh, the energy he plays with behind the plate. Um, you know, he's, he's into it defensively, talking to pitchers. Um, smoked the ball to right center in the game. Um uh, I, I like what he can do behind the plate. It's another strong physical kid. Uh, Dylan Pasternick, uh, we've seen him a lot, athletic kid. But he All made PBR. It. Every time we put that thing across his chest, he tends to play up a grade. It's, uh, you know, I know, and he got, uh, in fairness, and he was banged up during the high school season, but boy, he's been really good at our events. He, he caught a top spin two hopper going to his right, uh, playing shortstop and, yep. you know, threw it on the run with some ease across there. Uh, Cade Gardner. Uh, he's had a great year from high school to the summer circuit to our events. Uh, he, he's a guy. He, he's a guy that every time you see him play, he grows on you. If you just show up and watch him once, it's ninety-five off the bat. He's a he's an average to above average runner. He's a good fielder, but then you show him he does the same thing the next time. He does the same thing the next time. He does the same thing in gameplay. He's gonna he's gonna be a guy that gets to a college campus and pushes people as a freshman because he can play the game. Uh, no doubt, Blaze, Blaze Johnson, left-handed hitting catcher. Love um, him. I think you you look at some guys and you, you wonder what they're thinking in the box at times, or if they have an approach. And seeing him in high school and seeing him there, I, I feel like he's 
he's mature enough. He's actually, you know, looking for some pitches and looking yep. in some zones and, and getting a good swing off. And uh, Logan Lau, uh, we know he can run. I think the bat speed's gotten better for him in the box. You know, I saw a video on him throwing a bullpen the other day too. And it, it you know, and it's yeah. self-reported, but he, he's, he's an interesting guy. Cause I don't, I, he's kind of below the radar and, you know, he, he's played on a Jordan team that, that had some guys. I think he's, he's kind of just kind of been in the mix there, but he, he, again, he's, he stood out at a couple of our events and I mentioned to kind of get a feel from some of the college guys that as they get a chance to see him over and over and over, I, he plays with quickness. He plays with, with, with pace. He, he plays with high energy um, there's good enough bat feel right now. So I, I think he's a very intriguing, intriguing guy. Yeah. Uh, Logan Ponnet from Hoggard. Uh, saw, him saw him there. Uh, baseball IQ. He's got, he got some feel for the game. Yep. Uh, put, plays with some pace. Um, you know, you mentioned Burris. You know, saw him last year. Six, six, two, long and athletic. And he's put on some weight. And uh, he hammered some balls in BP. Um, Caden Davidson, um, yeah, obviously he, he continues to hit high end so prospect there. Let's get into that. You know, th- this event produced some future game guys. So Caden's Caden's going to the future games with us. Um, Connor Robertson, Ke- Connor Robertson, third baseman from Mooresville, is going to the future games with us. You know, and again, it's not just this one event, but it's accumulation of seeing them in high school, seeing them in gameplay, seeing them in events. Um, these guys have separated themselves a little bit and Aiden wall, you know, uh, I mean, a- Aiden, Aiden may be a little bit big. I, we'll see if he can at six, two, one seventy can really sit behind the plate and receive high end arms. I think he can, but he, he's an intriguing profile because there's so much length in the body and, and how, how much strength that body has a chance to carry. Um, you know, and so we could keep going on names. I mean, I, I would encourage anybody that hasn't to go look through the roster, go look through the stats, go look through the quick hitters that are being posted as we speak um, on these guys. It was it was top to bottom, just a really, really good event. Um, you know, from a pitching standpoint, um, you know, I think one of the very first guys that threw um, was Christopher Donaldson. We, we saw Chris – during the Bobby Murray tournament this spring with Green Hope, I think. And now he's heading to Pro 5. Um, you know, average spin, average in, induced vertical break, but there's some run to it. And it was, you know, anywhere from 87 to 91. You know, he's a little bit bigger body, but he held the velocity over two innings. He showed the ability to spin a breaking ball. Um, you know, he, he was intriguing. Dalen Boykin spin a breaking ball. Carson Dolly. Dale, D-A-H-L-E, spun a breaking ball. Trey Roberts, um, I think Trey's still trying to figure out and, and grow into his body. His direction kind of is day-to-day at times, but it's a loose arm and it's got heavy, heavy run. And I think some of the things with these guys, are they're, they're caught up a little bit with velocity where <clears throat> if it's 87, 88, but it's got heavy run, I don't have to miss the bat. All I got to do is miss the barrel. And I think Trey has got a chance to be a sink slider guy as he really commits to what the ball is doing out of his hand. Um, but, you know, Cole, Cole Cucklick threw really well. Tate Jones, you know, we've talked about Tate a lot out of Williams, strike thrower, doesn't throw anything straight, barely gives the hitter more than a couple different options per at bat at his fastball. You're going to have to hit a cutter, a changeup, a breaking ball. And if you show the ability to do that, then the fastball is good enough to climb in there on you. Um, you know, and it was good. From that standpoint, 
those events are really driven by the pitchers because the hitters aren't going to get multiple looks at them, which isn't fair to the hitter. But having said that, I thought the hitters in this event did a really good job of going into it bats, having a plan and being aggressive to show, you know, the college coaches and pro scouts, I can get to fastball. I, I can be on time right out of the on deck circle. And our pitchers were good enough that it forced those hitters to be good, to be able to get the ball in play. Yeah. I go back to, uh, you know, Zeb Swangham from, from TC uh, yep. shot, I think three balls, the right field in that bat. Huge barrel ability. You know, not trying to do too much, took his hits. And then uh, talking about the pitching, you know, Micah Simpson goes in there and bam, 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 bam. It was, uh, you know, a lot of times in those events, guys are trying to trying to throw for the gun. He wasn't, you know, he was, he was living on the black and uh, he, he cut some hitters up. Yeah. Left-hander up to 82, but the spin rate, the spin rate sitting about 2,300. So, at 82 and 2300, I mean, he may be ideally the, the spin rate should carry and climb with velocity. So if he gets to 86, 87, we may be looking at 28, 2900 on the spin, you know, and then he spins his breaking ball too above 23, 2400. And so there's something there with his hands, with the way he's on the baseball, with the, with the way he's getting through the baseball, where the spins allowing the stuff to play up. He, there's, and there's pitchability. You know, you've seen him a couple of times. We don't, and I saw him at the NHSI, and kind of just said, "Okay, it's just it's a it's a stock left-hander, but he stuck it up the number you know nine team in the country. He, he stuck it up their tail for five innings, you know. So there there's something there, and 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 again, the analytics allow us to see a little bit of that, but also seeing these guys against good hitters gives us that feedback too. Yeah. Uh- Great event, fun day for us. Like I said, you know, absolutely you from, from from game one to game three, and there's you know no drop off, and talented players keep running out, and and uh, they perform, and I think you're seeing more kids get used to the you know the workout and game as far as and we know pitchers are throwing for the gun, we know they're trying to showcase, and I, I think hitters are are adjusting more than in years past. Well, and that transitions us to the Team Carolina Trials East, which is our last Team Carolina Trials event. Um, just after the dead period hosted at Campbell, um, you know, 50 plus players there. Um, most of them from North Carolina. We had a couple from South Carolina bolt in there as well. Um, initial impressions on that roster and what we saw at the team Carolina trials East. Uh, another good year there. I thought it was, you know, good last year and, and even better this year. Um, guys, guys show up and perform there and, you know, Zach Bender, left-handed hitter, uh, you know, he stood out. You know, launched some balls to his pull side. Um, Weston Sykes, a young kid, had a good day. Sawyer Smith from South Carolina. I think he's a a North Carolina commit, a uh, yep. ton of barrel ability and good round of BP. And He was good on the bump, um, too. Yeah. Um, another good day there. We saw we saw 224s at the top of our, our exit velocities. Braden Shear from, from Wakefield. Uh, up above 100 at 100.6, not quite as consistent with the barrel, but he's got long arms, long limbs. I, I think at 6'1", 195, his limbs probably a little bit longer than than what the normal 6'1 is. He's going to be an interesting follow. Um, you know, first baseman, you know, where does he fit? If he can show for a couple weeks that he can really find the barrel, there's, there's power potential there, um, just with the way the ball jumped off the bat. And then, you know, from Greenfield High School, and the game time prospects group in North Carolina, 
uh, an outfielder named Quentin Blake. It was our first look at him, 6'1", 220, muscular, physical build. Um, again, would like to see a little bit more barrel feel, but 103 max exit velocity, 93.3 average. You know, And so I think even with these 24s, there's still a lot of time. Both those guys are uncommitted. There's still a lot of time as college coaches are just now getting out of the transfer portal and trying to evaluate, okay, who's left and what do we want? Do we want the projection guy? Do we want the polished guy? Do we want the high ceiling? Um, you know, everybody wants high ceiling, high floor, but are we willing to take a high ceiling, low floor guy? You know, he may make the big leagues. He may never play an inning for us. You know, that type of contrast. Do we want that guy in the program? Do we develop that type of guy? Do those guys get better off by going to a junior college for two years uh, instead of maybe bouncing around the portal? So, you know, some of these 24s will be interesting to follow. Obviously, you know, we're diving heavy into the 25 group as we get ready to go to, to the future games and, you know, putting that future games group together and the roster hasn't been easy. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of guys that we got to pare down to the 24 we're taking and you're dealing with as much as anybody with, with not just them, but also our junior features at the 27s and talk a little bit about just that, that parody that you're seeing and us trying to put those teams together. Yeah. It's, it's been a little bit of a different year for us with the, the new recruiting rules, you know, most, yep. you know, it's futures is 25s and 26s and, you know, last year with 24s and 25s, you know, there was a handful of 25s that make the trip. You know, those 24s start going off the board, and we've always deal with, you know, colleges trying to get kids to commit before they get down there and uh, lose some guys there. And, you know, we haven't had that this year, and it's, you know, really limited our roster to 25s uh, with, with less of them committed. And, right. um, you know, we combine with South Carolina, and there's always, always guys that are good enough to be there that, you know, it just doesn't work out numbers wise combining with the club and, um, you know, and then, you know, picking the guys you do invite, it's, you know, you, you, you see them, you, you make calls and you look at numbers and, you know, you, you, you hope you take the right guy. Yeah. And I'm excited about the roster where it is right now. we got to finalize it a little bit. <clears throat> I know South Carolina had an event last night. Um, you know, we're still running through some of the numbers from the, from the East event and making sure we really understand what, what that player has. And, you know, then making phone calls too. We haven't seen him playing a game. Let's get some feedback on gameplay. Does it, does what we saw translate, um, you know, and, and going through that process there. But I think we're going to be athletic. Uh, I know we're, we're going to play California, Mid-Atlantic, and Florida. Um, and so, you know, Mid-Atlantic is going to be very similar to us in terms of the type of recruiting that's going on. Florida is going to see – you know, a lot of their upper tier guys have committed. They, they That's the fastest state in the country in terms of commitments. So they're going to be a little bit further ahead. The, the new rules didn't affect that with them because they happened so late next year. I think Team Florida, you're going to see a really bump, uh, an extreme bump in talent that they bring to the future games just because it's an uncommitted event. And then California is always interesting <clears throat> because those guys have to commit so far out to the future games to get flights and things like that. Um you know, it's less, and those guys in California do a good job, but it's our first time playing them. So I'm excited to kind of just see differences in styles, differences in the way they build their their team and, you know, allow them to play in this event. Um, you know, for the guys that, that don't get to the future games, right behind it the following week at Campbell, the North Carolina Top Prospect Games, one of my favorite events of the year, uh, an event that we've run for, I think, five or six years now. I think we have over 220 commitments out of this event, uh, just something insane. Um, you know, an event that <clears throat> in some years has seen 
10 to 15 college coaches, and some years we've seen 40. Um, and I would love to see here and say, hey, if PBR runs an event, there's going to be college coaches there. But honestly, it's driven by the roster. And we're off to a really good start with this roster, having just kind of put this event up on the site in the last couple of weeks, sent our invites out, getting ready to send the next set of invites out. Um, you know, back at Campbell's going to be hot. What are your thoughts on the top prospect games? Uh, great event. I think you get to see a lot of the uh, – this year will be the 24s, uh, seeing where they're at at the, you know, the back end of the summer. And then it's also a great time for us to uh, really dial in on on some some 26s and 27s that – We've heard the name, but but maybe haven't seen or maybe only see them work out. And they come down there, we get to watch them work out again and, and see how they handle some some game situations. And that roster is still being built. Every position still has some openings. So if you know somebody or if there's somebody that you think should attend, um, you can go onto the website, prepbaseballreport.com, go to North Carolina, go to events, and then click on Top Prospect Games. You can request an invite. We're reviewing those daily. <clears throat> as we as we kind of continue to try to build as good a roster as we can for that event um, and give college coaches and pro scouts one last look at the summer prior to kind of turning the page and, and going into our fall series, which will be scout days. Um, we'll have an uncommitted senior event. We may have a uncommitted North Carolina versus South Carolina event. We may have a Southeast unsigned senior event. There'll be some senior-driven events. And then also trying to get to know some of the younger players we get ready for, for the high school season and how that's going to play out, where a team is going to be ranked, where a player is going to be ranked, and you know where do we go as we start the spring. So, uh, Matt, last thoughts as we, we kind of start to get ready to close this summer down. Um, players, events, things that are coming up, looking forward to Lake Point and being down there in the heat for a week and, and all of that good stuff. Yeah, I think you know seeing how the guys we take down there, uh, how we do in our pool. We had a great year last year. I think we're in position to do it again this year. And then seeing all the college coaches that, uh, yeah, you know, get to spend some time with them for a few days and kind of, kind of see where things are trending with, uh, with what they're doing and what they're looking for and, you know, how the new rules are affecting things. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. We've got a couple weeks to kind of figure this thing out and get those guys ready to roll, but, uh, we'll be back next week probably to introduce that roster, talk a little bit more about Lake Point, a little bit more about some of the things that have happened in the past couple weeks that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, but we're back. We're going to be on here. We're going to be a little bit more consistent now that we're both back. Uh, I'm Brandon Hall. He's Matt Payne. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast, and we'll see you at the field.